Your source for community, Muskoka-made talk shows are on Muskoka Magazine, The Bay 88.7. Hey, this is Dr. Shervin. Muskoka Magazine is brought to you by Dairy Lane Dental, keeping Muskoka smiling for over 30 years. Please visit DairyLaneDental.com. This is Muskoka Drawdown. Welcome to Muskoka Drawdown. I'm your host, Frank Young. I'm here on behalf of uh, CAM, Climate Action Muskoka. The CAM motto is take action together. So I I encourage everyone to uh, Google the CAM website and uh, have fun with the carbon calculator to see how your CO2 emissions are are stacking up with your neighbors and your relatives and your friends. See if you can beat them out in a ton or two. Um, But most importantly, when you're on the website, sign up for the free weekly newsletter. There's all kinds of great uh, information on that uh, that uh, you could, you'd love to have a read at. My guest today is a very special person in Ontario, and that is Diane Sachs. She's um, one of the world's top 25 environmental lawyers with 40 years of experience litigating Ontario's energy and environmental laws. She is a certified environmental law specialist. Diane, welcome. Thank you so much, Frank. First, the first thing I have to ask, though, are you a normal human being or are you superhuman? <laughs> I am a very normal human being. And uh, fair warning, there's a puppy here. So background noises are possible. Okay. I was going to ask you for one embarrassing fact about yourself. Oh, my goodness, there are so many. Uh, Well, one is I don't stand very well. um, And I have a terrible problem as a politician. So I can't stand and talk to people. I mean, I'm short anyway. But then having to sit down to talk to people, I'm looking at their belly buttons. It's it's not good. Um, but Diane, seriously, you guys—you are an amazing person, and have doing the work of the angels. Uh, you're among the, the the eco warriors and eco heroes of of the world, indeed, um, which is uh, very timely because we are in a climate emergency, as you well only know too well and know better than the rest of us. Um, it's it's sort of scary to contemplate the, the potential things that can happen. I mean. Three plus billion humans are very vulnerable to climate uh, change, uh, collapse, climate, local climate collapses and weird weather events. We could be looking at like a billion or two or three billion uh, climate refugees and, you know, hundreds of millions of people who who would die. And, you know, this could happen next week, next month, next year. Doesn't this scare the living daylights out of you as 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 a person working on this? It absolutely does. Um, and that's why I'm doing the work that I'm doing. I, as you, as you mentioned, I've been an environmental and energy lawyer for a very long time, um, 46 years. And until I became the environmental commissioner of Ontario, I really thought that I had a good handle on climate change. And I still, like so many people, thought it was a problem for later a problem for polar bears, a problem for people in faraway places later. And I was frankly shocked, horrified, terrified to realize that climate change is inflicting body blows right now on people alive today and 
immeasurably darkening the future for young people, including my grandchildren. And that's why I'm fighting for climate action now to give young people a chance at a livable future. We still well, well, have a small window. It's closing, but we still have a small window and leadership matters enormously. So I feel an obligation to do what I can. And what I can do is to put myself way outside my comfort zone mm -hmm. and run for public office. So that's what I'm doing. I know. Well, tell us a little bit about that. It sounds like you've taken the plunge and you admitted earlier on this interview that you don't really do politics that well, but you sound like you're stepping out, stepping up. There's, I mean, almost every day that I was commissioner, I gave thanks that my job was to work on good public policy and public education and empowerment and not politics. Right. But that job was taken away from me. Uh, well, Doug you must have you must have been doing too good of a job because uh, Doug Ford canceled your whole position. Yes, he passed special. Leg I was protected by statute that I had a guarantee of independence, which is why I gave up everything I'd spent forty years to build to become the environmental commissioner of Ontario. Uh, Doug Ford presumably because he resented my criticism of his destructive actions, passed special legislation to break my contract and abolish my office. Um, so I, I had to sit and think really hard after that about what to do, how I could continue to serve the public interest and fight for the future that we want. So for the first year, I just basically continued as an unpaid environmental commissioner, doing much as I had before, but with no staff and no money. But then COVID. So once I was locked at home, like everybody else, I really had to think very hard as to what was, what was I going to do? Was I just going to retire and sit back on my hands and say, you know, I've had a good life? Or was I going to find a way to get back into the battle? Well, well that, that sort of asks, begs the question. Now you're interested in, you're going to be running for provincial uh, uh, politics to become a, an MPP at Queen's Park, but you're also a very powerful and experienced lawyer. There's, we need a lot of lawyers doing litigation and we need to get nature into the constitutions of our, of our countries. Is, do you think being a politician is gonna be more effective for you personally than being a, an environmental lawyer? I don't know. Um, in private practice, a lawyer's job is to work for the best interest of their client. As commissioner, my job is to work for the best interest of the province. That's a much harder job, but more worthwhile. As deputy leader of the Green Party, that's still my job, to work for the best interest of the province. And I'm going to try, I am trying, we've been working really hard for more than a year now, uh, to to do that at Queen's Park, where you know Mike Schreiner is already doing an amazing job as he's as a single individual. Uh, he's certainly the most powerful backbencher, the most influential at Queen's Park, and I know that I can make him more effective because I'm a really good policy wonk and I know how law and government work, and I have hands-on experience providing oversight to 17 government ministries as well as my own personal background being a government lawyer. I thought you said you were just a normal person. <laughs> I am just a normal person, but I've been really privileged with my career.
you have, and it's wonderful. Um, what about, okay, let's assume you are elected. Um, Germany announced a couple of days ago they were going to dedicate 200 billion euros to greening the German economy. Is that the kind of thing we should be doing in Ontario and in Canada? There's a huge number of things that we can do to get off fossil fuels that will make our life better. Ontario is a fossil fuel importer. We spend something like 16 to $25 billion every single year just importing fossil fuels. And that money drains away out of our economy and all it leaves behind is pollution. So if we stop importing fossil fuels, replace them with efficiency and better urban planning and electricity that we make here, we can keep most of that money circulating in our own economy, create maybe 800,000 more jobs, uh, have better health, cleaner air, um, more compact, cohesive communities. We can have better lives. That's amazing. And actually, people often say, they say we need the complete electrification of our of our economy. Does that make sense or is that viable to, to run everything off electricity? Almost. Uh, so if you look in our roadmap for net zero, which was what I spent most of last year writing, it's posted on the Green Party of Ontario website, and it's also posted on my campaign website, which is votefordiane.ca. So you, in fact, you'll see all three of our policies there, our housing policy, our mental health policy, and our climate policy. But you'll see in the climate policy, we've laid out in detail how we, what that roadmap looks like. And absolutely, one of the critical pieces is to double our electricity system. Um, we can do that without, in, without adding any more nuclear. Uh, solar and wind have come down in cost so far and so fast that we can provide all the electricity that we need. I mean, we have existing nuclear plants, but in terms of adding to that, we don't need to add any more nuclear. And we certainly should be shutting down the fossil fuel electricity as soon as we reasonably can within the budget. Um, Storage has also become enormously more practical and less expensive. And we have other tools that I described in my 2018 report to the legislature, which allow us to to match supply and demand better. So absolutely, we can electrify almost all things, and we will have many benefits for doing so. One of the benefits, um, um, most simply, is decoupling ourselves from geopolitical events. We're being held hostage by Putin right now, just like everybody else, as oil prices go up and food prices go up. I mean, we're not paying anything like the price that the people are in Ukraine, but still, for many people, it's a hardship when gas prices go up. So but with, you, an, so with an electric car, it's irrelevant. Yeah. So what you basically mean is local self-reliance. Local self-reliance gives us more security as well as giving us better air quality and keeping more money circulating in our economy, which is better for creating jobs. And it it also builds communities and you get to know people and we are depending on each other. It's social cohesion instead of the social silos and fracturing that we've been seeing. Well, and also when people are getting around on foot, by bike, by bus, we interact with the people around us. It's easier to stop at a local store. Whereas if you just have car sewers, you have thousands of cars racing by. Um, again, they leave pollution and danger behind. No. They don't create community. In fact, no. they they no. break community. 
No kidding. Up here in Muskoka, we do that uh, white knuckle ride drive down the 400 so often. It's a, a terrible thing. And it's about time we brought back the Ontario Northland train to uh, Muskoka and North Bay. Um, Diane, uh, we have to take a break for, uh, for, uh, for a few minutes here. Uh, everyone, this is Diane Sachs. She is an eco-warrior personified. Let's uh, be back after the break. By Muskoka for Muskoka, your collection of Muskoka-based talk shows. Muskoka Magazine, The Bay, 88.7. I'm Dr. Shervin from Dairy Lane Dental, and you're listening to Muskoka Magazine. This is Muskoka Drawdown. Welcome back, everyone. We have a special guest today is Diane Sachs, former Environment Commissioner of Ontario. Uh, she's a, a, a an environmental lawyer of distinction, and it's such an honor to have you today here on our uh, radio program in Muskoka, Diane. In beautiful Muskoka, <laughs> absolutely, and we want to keep it that way. Um, do you see different? Do you see comparisons to the or or whatever differences the way our governments around the world have dealt with COVID? and how we're dealing with climate change. Are these equivalent? Uh, are we looking at equivalent crises and dealing them, dealing with them appropriately? Well, there are many similarities. And just as with climate, what we've seen around the world is that governments led by women have done a better job, um, have been more responsive to people's concerns, have had lower death rates, have paid more attention to the science, have been less arrogant. Uh, so much that's been done in Ontario has been unnecessarily harsh and has sacrificed women and children. You just have to look at Doug Ford's repeated decisions to close schools, which creates a huge toll for children and especially for their mothers, while leaving open, you know, car dealerships and strip joints and of sporting events and mega stores, you know, forcing all the little stores to close, but leaving the um, Walmarts of the world open over and over again. The decision has been made in ways that increase inequality and increase stress and put harm on the, the most vulnerable and benefit the wealthiest. Well, that's what's that's one of my concerns about what you call climate murders, like the people who can't uh, who can't survive a climate crisis because they don't have the financial resources. And we've done so much to help people during COVID, but. Are we going to be able to do the same thing to uh, to stop climate change and to help people through climate change financially? Well, we don't see any signs that our current governments are doing that. You know, it's one of the things that the United Nations Secretary General called out last week on the release of the second leg of the uh, sixth assessment report. What he emphasize that the governments of the world are putting the most vulnerable on a frog march to destruction, that the conduct of the leaders of the world, and certainly I would put Mr. Ford in this group, is criminal. It amounts to arson of our only home. And throwing away this small remaining chance to keep a livable future for today's young people. Even those of us who are not young can't count on dying on time anymore. Leadership matters enormously. We, we see that right now with the galvanizing effect of the leadership of the Prime Minister of Ukraine and how much impact his courage has had and his uh, you know, leading his country effectively. So we need that same kind of inspirational, inclusive 
leadership in face of an overwhelming challenge. We need that on climate and we're going to need it for a long time because, I mean, the pandemic has been overwhelming for two years uh, and hopefully it will settle down sometime soon to sort of another endemic disease. But climate change is just getting going and the damage is going to accelerate unless we get smart and fast. Yeah, I know we've, we seem to, I remember like in the eighties when the, the ozone layer was being, was being destroyed by uh, CFCs, the world got together. There were a couple of uh, conferences, the Montreal protocol, and uh, it was mostly DuPont that was producing CFCs and they stopped. And now the ozone layer is recovering. We obviously need the same kind of global action and concerted global action to address climate change, don't you think? Well, we absolutely do. I mean, admittedly, the ozone problem was a comparatively manageable problem because only a few companies made the chlorinated, uh, uh, the chlorofluorocarbons that were destroying the ozone. And critically, the same companies could make even more money making a new chemical to replace that. So they didn't have a huge amount to lose by cooperating and they did cooperate and those companies are still making lots of money making chemicals. The green transformation requires a much broader transformation where again, most people will be better off by fighting climate change, but some will lose. And some of the ones who will lose are very powerful um, and are using all their money and power to achieve predatory delay so that they can keep making more money. Just the way the tobacco companies did when they attacked and ridiculed scientists, doctors, the Surgeon General for daring to suggest what they knew was perfectly true, which was that cigarettes were both addictive and carcinogenic. So we're seeing the same playbook over and over again from fossil fuel industries and the politicians they've bought and paid for. Yes. Well, you know, I mean, I've been a climate action person all my adult life. And I mean, most recently, first there was, um, you know, there was Donald Trump was a huge distraction from climate change action for four years. And then COVID came along and, and that was another two years of distraction. And now we have the, the, the Ukraine war, you know, as tragic as it is, it's yet another distraction away from, from dealing with climate, even in the, at the same time as we had the huge fires in Australia, the floods in British Columbia, we, everybody knows we've lost half the songbirds in, in North America and the other half are going now as well. There's huge biodiversity loss happening, and yet we have distraction after distraction. I like to blame blame the the 24-hour news cycle that if it bleeds, it leads. So the media has to jump around the world and look for the the, the most the sexiest or the most dramatic thing, and everything else gets buried again for months and years at a time. It's very discouraging. You know, Frank. As I mentioned, I've been an environmental and energy lawyer. I was called to the, for 46 years, I was called to the bar in 1976. And throughout my entire time, every person in power has had a desk full of emergencies. Hmm. And so over and over and over again, we've been told, you know, that's all very nice and good and important. And I'm sure we should get to it. But right now we have an emergency. And it has always been thus. So we really do have to choose. The green transition is inevitable. 
difficult. Physics doesn't negotiate. Yeah. Physics will win. Is it, do you think, question what you is just, how much, sorry, what you just said makes so much sense, but do you think it's going to be technological advance that's going to sort of save us, or is it going to be governments propelling uh, with with legislation. Sometimes I think it's governments are so crippled by what we were just talking about that it's going to have to be just a technological change in advance that's going to, because it's cheaper and more efficient, is going to do it regardless of what governments say and do. You know, really, Frank, I don't think it's going to be either of those. Um, we've seen lots of examples that better technology doesn't always win. Just remember beta and VHS when it yes. comes to recording and electric cars have always been better technology but they uh, since 100 years ago and and didn't automatically win exactly. um so better technology doesn't necessarily solve the problem and we already have all the technology that we need mm. the uh, carbon tracker showed in a report last year that with existing solar and wind technology without any new inventions we already have the capacity to produce all the energy that all humans in the world need with less land than the fossil fuel industry already occupies. Yeah. So we don't need new technology, uh, nor do I think, I mean, governments have a very important role, a critically important role, which is why I'm running for office. But if governments continue to be criminal laggards as they are now, that doesn't necessarily mean we'll do nothing. Uh, there's a really interesting thinker called Alex Steffen, who's been writing and talking about this for a long time. And his point is, we're not going, I mean, yes, it would be great if everybody got together, we all decided to hold hands and work on climate together. But that hasn't happened and doesn't look as if it's going to. What's more likely is that the transition is going to happen because lots of people are going to be better off by getting off fossil fuels. And so people are going to pursue their own advantage. They're going to pursue protection and safety for themselves and their families and their communities. And they're going to seize the uh, advantages of the green transition where they're not held hostage by people like Putin. And the prices don't go up and down unpredictably where they have some self-sufficiency. Nobody can stop the sun from shining on you. Yes. Uh, no one can stop the wind from blowing. So there are many opportunities. And, and also there's so much about a green future that's more pleasant, more fun. I mean, just think about riding an electric bike or driving an electric car. They're more fun. They're faster. <laughs> they're quieter. They're responsive. They're just exhilarating. I love what you're just saying, that we need to celebrate our way into a green planet. Diane Sachs, thank you so much for coming on to my show here. I think the, the citizens of uh, the listeners in Muskoka will really appreciate it. And we wish you absolute well. We really need you and people like you in Queen's Park and in the federal parliament as well. And so, uh, listeners, thank you for tuning in. And I would just like to leave you with the idea that we should live lightly so others may live lightly as well. No, that's all wrong. Live simply so live others simply. may simply live. Simply live. <laughs> I screwed well, that for, up. Yeah. Thank Go you ahead. so much, Frank. I do want to say to your listeners in Muskoka, right. uh, give us a hand. If you want to join my campaign and help on the phone team, you can do that from anywhere. And we really need you. You can make a difference. Go to votefordiane.ca and I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks so much. Thank you, Diane. You got your website in there. We're well done. Okay. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you. Bye. I went to the city. 
When all the trees were gone And I laid there on an asphalt lawn And she cried out a thousand days Of hurricanes and floods Her face ran with tears And the streets ran with blood Fur coats and sushi boats And diesel in the air Every little critter Forever.